I want you to turn with me to Esther chapter 3 in the Old Testament. Esther chapter 3, if you can't find it, don't worry, just listen as I read the Word of God tonight. This is part four of our series. It's been delayed for a couple of weeks, and now I'm going to have to split this in two, and it's going to carry over to next week. But my message tonight is spirit of anti-Semitism. I wish I didn't have to speak on this. It's a dark thing, but it's a real thing. And it's what's dominating our world. You must know what I'm about to say. And I'm going to show you it from Scripture. And then I'm going to begin showing you what has happened in our world. What it is. Why it's here. Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things did King Azazirus promote Haman. Notice that name, Haman. The son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did reverence. Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed them the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Azazarus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Azazarus, they cast her, that is the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And Haman said unto King Azazarus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed amongst the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman the son of Hamadatha, the Gagai, the Jews' enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, and to the governors that were over every province 
to the rulers of people of every province according to the writing thereof, and to the people after their language. In the name of King Azazarus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and the cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. And we could continue reading, but let's just stop there here tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize, Lord God, there's such evil being released in our world and the nations. Lord God, we've encountered and saw and heard wickedness in the hearts of men, vileness upon their lips. And, oh God, it makes us to shudder, O oh God, that mankind, that humanity, that individuals, that people in power, that people, O oh God, influence, nor God can fall to such depravity and wickedness and hate in a race and hate in other people. Nor, God, we have seen, O God, in our Bibles, we have seen in our culture, in history, all through the ages. And now again, we see a spirit of anti-Semitism, a hatred of the Jew, a hatred for Israel that is not natural, that is not from below, nor, God, that is not logical or practical. But, O God, we believe it comes from the pit. Nor, God, we're asking of you tonight that you'd show us the terribleness of an attitude of hate and any person, nor God of anger, of bitterness, of murder, of jealousy, of suspicion in the heart of men, and nor God, how terrible this is when the devil desires to destroy your people, your plan, and your purpose. Father, tonight I pray that Christ would be ex exalted, nor God, that out of the darkness that we're seeing, engulf the nations of the world in this hour, that we'd have faith, O oh God, that you're going to bring forth your purpose, your plan, O oh God, that even in the darkness of this hour, even as we see our entire world on the edge of their seats waiting for what is going to happen in the nations of the world, nor, God, you do have a plan to bring forth righteousness and godliness in all the earth. And we love you, Lord Jesus, because you first loved us and died at Calvary. And Lord God, you changed our hearts. You saved us. Lord God, love conquered our hearts. Mercy and grace took us prisoner. And Lord God, we love you, God. You've given us a reason to live and to serve you. And Lord God, to have a hope for the future. In Jesus' mighty name, bless your word tonight. Amen. A spirit of anti-Semitism. At evening mass on Monday the 11th of January 1904 in the Redemptionist Church at Mount South St. Alphonus, just down the road here, a five-minute walk, Father John Cray entered his pulpit on that fateful night. The week before this, he had promised his entire congregation and all those that he knew startling revelations the following Monday night on a very special subject. Attendance was at its very height that night to hear what the priest was going to say. Two years before, in the year 1902, 
at the age of 32 years old, he had gained the position of leadership of the arch confraternity, as they called it. This was a group attached to that chapel, that church, of 6,000 men that met four times a week. They were radically loyal and devoted to Mary, those 6,000 men, hard-working men from across the city. And this priest, Father Cray, had made sure they were gathered for this vital service on that fateful night. He began speaking from Scripture first on loving your enemies. That's where he started. But he wasn't preaching on loving your enemies to encourage them to love their enemies. Oh, no. He began to say the Bible says love your enemies, but don't let that hinder you. Or don't misapply it. Because he says, if you take that literally, then you'll actually love and ignore Limerick's greatest danger. He says, don't let this scripture blind you to the greatest danger of this city. What was the danger? He told them clearly, it's the Jews of Limerick City. That's what he preached on that night from the text, loving your enemies. What a message. What a, what a twisting of the word of God. He accused the Jews of deicide, which is killing God, of persecuting and murdering Christians. Quote, the greatest haters of the name of Jesus Christ and of everything Christian is the Jew. That's what he said. He accused them of usury, which is lending money and then having very extortionate high returns on it or interest on it that cripples the person that's borrowed the money. He accused them of being leeches, living off the purr of this city, of being the enemies of Catholicism, and of being in league with the Freemasons who drove the redemptionists out of the nation of France previously. He concluded the sermon by warning the people to have no financial transaction with any Jew in this city. In his messages, he insinuated that all Jews were caught up in ritual murder of children and said that the Jews that had come to Limerick, quote, to fasten themselves like leeches to draw out the blood of the poor of this city. He blamed them for the poverty of the city. But in actual fact, the biggest money lenders in the entire city were sitting in his congregations and were Catholics. But he accused the Jew, who were very few in number. In the 1901 census, just before this, three years before this, there were only 149 Jews in the entire city. And they hadn't been here in this city more than 30 years. They were a very small hard-working community. Most of them lived on Colony Street, which is now Wolftown Street, just near where Ellen used to live. It was a few minutes' walk from this church, and so this priest stirred the entire large congregation. They were angry. They were seething. 
They thought they were standing on Scripture to hate the Jew with a vehemence. That's what they thought. This priest knew what he was doing. The sermon was then published in the local press, including the Limerick leader. In fact, the Limerick leader really pulled behind this attack on the Jews. This is what the editor of the Limerick leader said at that time, quote, Jewish colonists are trooping in to fill up the places of immigrants in this city and to turn Ireland into a filthy ghetto by their presence. After this sermon preached in that Catholic church, there were daily insults of Jews on the streets. They were assaulted. They were abused. They were attacked with menacing language as they walked down the street. There were incidents of jeering, spitting, jostling, and a throwing of stones, often by women and children. Several stone-throwing incidents took place with men attacking Jews, and luckily no one died at that stage. There were physical beatings of Jews where they could find them, all as a result of this one sermon by this priest who hated Jews. There were two incidents of riotous and disorderly crowds, two to three hundred strong, attacking Jews. In all of this, only the presence of the police many times restrained the crowds. And listen to me, I believe this would have been the beginning of something horrendous in Limerick City, and it didn't turn out to be. If the police had not been there to withhold it, it would have broken out. People would have been murdered, and there's other reasons. One week later, on the 18th of January, as this continued, the police had to restrain large crowds. There was intimidation, assaults, and this persisted another six months in this city with 50 to 60 incidents taking place that were of serious note. But listen, within days of this sermon being preached, the chief rabbi of Limerick wrote to a certain man called Michael David. He was an Irish Republican, a member of the Irish Brotherhood, of which I would be no friend, but he turned out to be very good in this situation. Just the previous year from this sermon, he had wrote on the persecution of Jews in Moldova under the czarist regime in Russia. He talked about the pale of settlement, an area, a zone which lay between Lithuania, where Egla comes from, in the north, and the Black Sea in the south. And in this entire Russian region, in the 19th and 20th centuries, there were mass beatings and murders of Jews. This become a common thing, so they created a new word called the pogrom. Pogrom, the word means, it's a Russian word, it means to wreak havoc, to demolish violently. Many Russians said this would be the saving of Russia, to kill Jews. It was the only way to save Russia as a nation, yet they were a minority people again. No armies, no attacks, just hard-working Jews, but they were seen as the enemy. And so this man, Michael David, when he heard of the sermon over the next few days, 
He stood into the breach. He was a man who had investigated this attack in Russia the year before. And he wrote a book called Within the Pale. Not Beyond the Pale, Within the Pale. If you're a good Irishman, you know what without the pale means. He wrote a book, Within the Pale. Do you know what it was about this persecution by the Russian government of the anti-Semitism of this, these officials? Some of the fiercest Russian pogroms occurred in 1881, 82. And the year before the sermon in 1903, 3,000 Jews in the closest town to Egla's home, village. In that community, 3,000 Jews were killed. And this Irish man, this Republican, had gone there and written about it and made a stand. And he'd come back. As soon as he heard that sermon, he says, Oh no, do you know what could get released in Limerick? Of anti-Semitism gripping hearts through the sermon of one Catholic priest. This could grip the Irish mind. And believe me, if it had gripped Limerick, it would have spread to all of Ireland. It really would have. And so he stood up immediately and responded one week later on the Monday morning to this Catholic priest. And he began to warn of the danger of anti-Semitism. He said that Father John Cray, that his accusations were void of truth. And he appealed to stop this crusade. So if it wasn't for this Republican, and if it wasn't for the place, I hate to think what, would it, what this would have been the beginning of. And even though it was restrained, it was still bad. And so one week after he preached the, his first sermon, Father John Cray, the following Monday night and Tuesday night, again preached two more sermons against the Jew. He claimed that the Jews were always and forever the enemies of Christianity, that the only reason why they had been persecuted in every single country in Europe was because they were seen as the enemies of every country where they settled. He spoke of, quote, tales of child murder carried out by devious. He's saying this publicly, preaching to people in this city. Devious, vicious, satanic Jews killing children. He actually believed conspiracy theories about the Jews that provoked him to believe that these group of Jews, 149 strong in this city, were trying to take over the entire nation and rule and destroy the Irish people. He actually believed this. He began to warn. And in fact, because there was a reaction, he was already saying, oh, I didn't say all those things about the Jews, but he did. He did. And he said, I'm not blaming their religion or being Jews. I'm just pointing out how abusive they are of the poor in the city. I'm thinking of the poor of the city. But he wasn't at all. What a disgrace. You know, the Jews went to the Royal Irish Constabulary at that time that were the police force here in Limerick. But they turned it around and blamed the Jews. They said it's their manner of success in trade in Limerick that has brought these attacks upon their own head and they deserve it. And so 
although the police said that, they were still restraining a massive attack against the Jews in the city. I think it's important you know this as a Limerick person. I'm dealing with a spirit of anti-Semitism. At that time, hearing of these sermons by this Catholic priest, the secretary of the London Committee of the Deputies of the British Jews, Charles Emmanuel, described the priest's second sermon on that Monday night, quote, as perhaps the grossest insult to the Jewish religion which has been offered in any civilized country within its memory. But here's the worst thing that happened here in the city. The boycott, the priest called them to a boycott. Don't trade with the Jew. They were all businessmen. They relied on selling for their livelihood to put food on the table. And so all trade stopped with the Jews. They didn't go into their shops, wouldn't deal with them on the doorstep, did not pay their outstanding bills that they owed. And as a, a result of losing money, 32 Jews immediately left the city. That was five families. At this very time, under this pressure, Arthur Griffith, who one year later founded Sinn Féin, he was here. He was a great supporter of the boycott. And five years before this incident, this is what he wrote, founder of Sinn Féin, in the United Irishman's newspaper, quote, the three great evils of modern times are the Freemasons, the pirates, you didn't know that, and guess what, the Jews. Local trade unions also came in and supported this boycott, do not trade or use the shops of the Jews. This was, came to be called the Limerick pogrom, although no one was murdered. It was very serious and it could have exploded across the nation. This began a two-year boycott on every single Jew in this city and within the region. Within two months of it, the Jews were in serious financial crisis. One Jewish shop owner on Henry Street did not have one single customer outside of Jews during that two months. After four months, he sold his shop sold everything, he left Limerick, but within two months had died because of the stress and the pressure of this whole incident. He was only 40 years old. I'm only touching on this. I can start giving you incident after incident after incident of one priest persuaded of a conspiracy theory, hating the Jew who preaches sermon that stirs up thousands of people in this city to try and bring the entire small, hard-working Jewish community in this city to its feet. What is anti-Semitism? Let me define it. It is a hatred, a prejudice, discrimination, an attack, verbally as well as physically, to slander, to hurt, to damage, to hinder, to misrepresent, to destroy, or to annihilate the Jews purely because they are Jews, even if they're not religious. They're a Jew, but they're not a practicing Jew. I don't care, they're a Jew. Even if they're pro-Palestinian, even if they're peace-loving, 
Two to four weeks ago, when they attacked that disco, that outside disco, you know that all these Jews were peace-loving. They actually wanted unity, peace with Palestine. They weren't religious. They're disco in the night away. It was actually a peace movement. Jews saying, we've got to love the Palestinians. So anti-Semitism doesn't care, doesn't care a hoot. Not at all. I'm defining what anti-Semitism is, even if you don't live in Israel. Anti-Semitism is a hatred of the Jew. This term, anti-Semitism, was first used in Germany in 1879. And it was defined at that time as Jewish hatred, hatred of Jews. It is a distinct, different people or race, a hatred of this people who are marked by certain beliefs, certain practices, with certain traits, certain personality traits, certain features of the face, their nose. Going to hate you, you're a Jew. You're marked by your nose. We hate you. This is what all come up out of this. Because of your agenda, you must be stopped, exterminated because you're a Jew. Not because you attack someone, not because of your beliefs, not because you don't end on me. You're a Jew. Even if you don't believe in religious, you don't keep any Jewish practice, you're a Jew. You must be exterminated. That's anti-Semitism. What's my message? A spirit of anti-Semitism. What do I mean a spirit? I don't mean demonic spirit. This is used generally in our world when you say a spirit of something, a spirit of anti-Semitism. You know what we mean? A disposition. It is the most prominent tendency of the inward part of a person. It is a fundamental attitude of the heart. It is a trait that marks you. It is a habit that you cannot break. The word disposition comes from the word to distribute. In other words, when something's a disposition within you, you distribute it. You can't keep your mouth shut. It pours out of you. Have you met those people? They hate someone or hate something and you're with them and they can't help themselves. They're distributing it. It's their disposition. They have a spirit. That's what they actually are. It's a temperament. It's an ingrained characteristic which drives them, affects their words, their actions, their thoughts. They can't help themselves. I listened to an interview the other day, not because I want to do. It's because what you're having one month down the road, right across our world, and especially from Palestinians, Hamas leaders, on all the news media, they're denying this even happened. You've got Hamas terrorists and civilians who caused this, who invaded Israel, maybe 2,000 of them, whatever it was. And do you know what? They videoed it. They videoed what they're doing. Now they're denying it. Can you believe it? This is what's happening constantly. So they video it, they rejoice in it, they want you to know, then they deny that they've done it. They say the Jews done it. The Jews raped them. 
The Jews beheaded their own people and then they're blaming us. We didn't do anything. But all the videos are there. What are you dealing with? You're dealing with something very vile. I watched a video, not because I want to do, but because there's a denial like the Holocaust. You know, worldwide, there's a massive movement to deny the Holocaust that ever happened. Never happened. It's all made up. It's not true. It's not historic. I watched a movie years ago of the Americans as they arrived into Germany and began to push through and go into the concentration camps. And in the American army, top filmmakers were brought in. I watched the videos many years ago when I lived in Germany. And you see them. And they brought the local people in from each of the areas. They'd bring the mayor in, the rich people who were all in denial saying it didn't happen. And they'd bring the people in, the rich ladies who lived locally, and made them look at what happened. And you'd see these ladies being sick physically. They didn't want to believe this could happen in their area, their nation. But you know what? They videoed what happened in the Holocaust so no one could deny it. There's denial all across the Arab world, Muslim world, the Western world. It's widespread. And so the other day I watched a video. It was an interview with the lady who prepared the bodies of those who had died that first day. Some 1,400 people died, men, women, children. She was responsible for about 40 to 50 people in that first week preparing them for burial. I listened. They'd done it clinically, and I'm so glad they did because it's so disturbing. I would not want you to watch this, but I thought I have to. And you know, anything you've heard in news media is not exaggerated. It's not it's not added to. It's not hearsay. She was there. She's got six children at home. Wouldn't even tell them what she was involved with. And so she's in there and she gave a very clear description. And she says, I wouldn't even, she says, I'm not even telling my children. I don't want even to speak to anyone about this. But already they're denying this happened. They're denying that the things that are coming out actually happened. So she says, I've got to go on record. There's got to be evidence. She prepared the bodies. And the Jews treat the body as very sacred. They're very careful about the blood. Bits of the body. Very careful. I think it was about 14 children she was involved with as well, preparing. She dealt with women. She spoke how their clothing was, about burning, dismembering. Somewhere it was impossible to identify them apart from DNA. I listened thoroughly to this lady. You know, these murders, these terrorists, this Hamas, they are vile. I, I dare not put on my lips what actually happened. I don't want to even say it. I was sitting with Rory the other uh, night, and I said, I don't want to even tell you. Just speaking to him, I don't want to even tell you. I don't want, to, I don't want it on my lips. But I've got to know this because you... We, we're in a state of the world. Who would have ever thought this would come again, like the Second World War, like Nazism? And yet in our world media, it's creeping in. There is a ginormous rise of anti-Semitism, bigger than anything we've seen in world history. In the U.S. now, it's at historic levels. I believe someone was already killed. 
across Britain, it's at its highest level. In colleges, in cities, Jews in Berlin, they're being told by the government, don't go out in the streets if you're a Jew. In New York, they're being warned to be careful. This is the Western world. And you know, across the Western world, you've got all of this young generation and the older generation of LGBT coming out and saying, we stand with Palestine, down with Israel. Hold on, these radical Muslims would kill you upon every opportunity. Feminists coming out, young, drunkard, white, Western guys, we support Palestine. The Muslim would kill you. It's crazy what is going on in London. A hundred thousand demonstrating, flying their flags, calling for jihad. The Metropolitan Police come out and defend them, said, well, you can interpret jihad very differently. It doesn't always mean murder and war and destruction. It could just mean, I don't like you. What a load of rubbish. Absolutely false. In the same demonstration, the police caught on camera, approached some poor English guys with their English flag just standing there and started to assail them, saying, why are you standing here with that flag? Don't tell me something isn't going wrong in our world. It's just showing what is there. We're living a very wicked age. Do you know little Emily Hand, eight years old, do you know her? An Irish citizen. She's the one who, a few weeks ago, her father was on camera. They were living in a kibbutz. Her mother died seven years before of cancer. He was an Irish citizen, I believe, 20, 30 years ago, moved from Ireland out to kibbutz in Israel. He was raising his two children. He'd lost his wife raising these two beautiful, beautiful kids. She loved to sing. She loved to dance. She, she was a beautiful girl. I seen a little video of her. You know, her dad went in the camera, shaking, trembling, saying, I'm so glad she's dead because I know what they do if they capture you. Who would ever think a loving father would say that? But you see, he knew the consequence. She was stay, staying over with a friend. That's why she wasn't with her dad that particular day. They massacred them. Now they've just come out and said, no, she's alive. And the father's come out pleading with the Irish government. Why isn't Ireland demonstrating an eight-year-old girl taken prisoner? The massacre of children? See, I'm, I'm preaching about anti-Semitism. What happened in Ireland over 100 years ago wasn't that bad on the big scale of things. But I want to tell you, it's the same spirit, big or small. I've got three points here. I'm not sure I can go through it all. This is a mishmash of me just telling you. I don't know how to communicate this. But I'll tell you what, I will communicate it, and you'll understand what I'm saying. And you're going to understand anti-Semitism. I don't care about nice three points. But I do care you understand this because we've got to know what we're dealing with. I've got three points from the scripture we read. Number one, the killer who felt sorry for himself. Very apt, isn't it? Number two, the Jew who would not bend. 
Number three, a Jewess in the right place at the right time. That's what you find in the book of Esther. Let me at least give you this first point. I'm not sure we get any further. This first point, the killer who felt sorry for himself. This is 500 years before Christ, 2,500 years ago. This is biblical history, a true story in the Bible. We read in the little book of Esther, a beautiful book, a story. A part of it is a vital testimony to anti-Semitism 2,500 years ago. You know the story how in chapter 1, we read about King Azazuris, who is known to history as Xerxes I, or Artaxerxes sometimes as they are named. He was a world leader. That's when Persia overseen 127 provinces from India to Egypt. It was a massive empire, many languages, lots of different religions, all sorts of ideologies, all within the same empire, all under his rule and power. It was an extraordinary imperial state. But we know in chapter 1 of Esther, remember the story how his wife Vashti wouldn't come out and had her put away? Chapter 2, he goes looking at being suggested, go find amidst the 127 provinces, why don't we bring all the most beautiful ladies to your palace and you can choose a new bride? And all these brides were brought. One of them was a young lady, innocent young lady called Esther, a Jewess. Her uncle that had raised her because her parents were dead. He was a godly man, a man who walked with God, Mordecai. He had raised her. And when she was chosen, he said, don't tell them when you go in that polis, you're a Jew. I wonder why. You mean 2,500 years ago? It wasn't very good to be called a Jew then either. When you're there in Persia, in this world empire that tolerates everything. Hold on. I thought in our world, everything is tolerated now. I, I thought you could be a trans the trans are supporting Palestine as well. Can you imagine them going there for a holiday? Hey, guys, when all this is over, you know what? We're going to pay your way to Gaza if it still exists. If not, the West Bank or, or maybe Lebanon or maybe Syria, maybe Iran. We're going to pay your one-way ticket to there. Let's see how you get on. Maybe they'll give you a medal. All you big beard-grown men trying to act like women to we children across our nations. I hate perversion. I don't hate people. I hate perversion. I hate all the stuff that's going to come into our world under the guise of being genuine. It's not genuine. You know, a guy wanting to go in a girl's bathroom, that's not normal. You, you can disguise it. That's not normal. Do you know what you had here then? Esther got chosen by this king. He chose her to be his bride. Then he married her. Remarkable. Do you know God's plan was in this? Because he knew there was going to come a wave of anti-Semitism, not just across the country, but across world empire, 127 different provinces, the government, the leadership, the cultures, the languages. 
God was going to have a little lady and a godly man in the right place at the right time and a godly man who would not bend the knee or be intimidated. It's so important not to be intimidated when everything's against you and numbers are against you and propaganda's against you. Very important, you're so godly that you have such a fear of God that you won't change. You just go, I love folk. I cannot lie. I cannot change. This is what I am. This first point, the killer who felt sorry for himself. In Esther chapter 3, verse 1, listen to what it says. After these things did King Azazoris promote Haman, the son of Hamadiah, Agag, and advanced him and set his seat above the princes that were with him. Above all the princes of all the provinces, he exalts this one man, Haman. Some people can't handle promotion, position, or power. Their head starts to swirl on heights. They become very dangerous, open to the devil. Position could destroy you. Between the seventh and the twelfth year of his reign, the king exalted Haman and gave him remarkable power right across the entire empire. But that didn't satisfy him. The top position didn't satisfy him. All this power, all this wealth, all the reputation, everyone bowing down him. The king said, everyone's got to bow down before you as you pass. That wasn't enough. You see, every time he got to the palace, there was one man out there, just one, who refused to bow and didn't do him reverence, didn't respect him. Only one. His name was Mordecai. I wonder what stopped him. The fear of God, the word of God, holiness. This man wouldn't bend. And you know what? It stirred up the wrath of Haman. He got so angry. I don't care about position or power or that everyone bows down. He doesn't bow down. That enraged him. It bothered him. He couldn't sleep at night. It stirred him. Something stirred deep within him. What is it about this man? What's different about this man than everyone else? His servants come and said, he's a Jew. They went to him. Why aren't you born? I'm a Jew. Why aren't you like us? I'm a Jew. Why can't you just be like everyone else? I'm a Jew. The scripture calls him a Jew. And you know what? Haman hated him with a bitterness. Notice what happens next in verse 6. And he thought, scorned to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Something stirred within this man's heart. He said, I could actually just deal with Mordecai. But he says, I don't want to just deal with him. What would stir a man that you cross him? One Jew offends him. And he goes on a crusade to kill every Jew. Not just in that city or that country. But in all of the province of the Persian Empire. What is it about this man that one Jew just simply doesn't bow down and reverence him? He then blackens the entire, they're not a race because there is only one race in the world, culture. Culture. 
people, family, nation, the Jews. Can I ask you, in 2,000 years, can you tell me of a Jewish army that marched against any other country? Can you tell me of one? Can you tell me of a revolution rising up to kill people on streets and they're known as Jews? Of course not. See this man, Haman, as soon as he knew this man is a Jew, I want to annihilate his people. It's not enough to kill him. I want his people. And it said, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Azazarus, even the people of Mordecai. He creates a political plot. He disguises it. He uses deception. He uses lies and he presents it. King, do you know there's a people in your kingdom right across in every city, every town? They disobey you. They hate you. They're corrupt. They're evil. What does he do? He starts blackening an entire people. What have they ever done to you, Haman? Nothing. Nothing. You know the chapter just before this, chapter 2, Mordecai actually saved the life of the king. There was a plot to kill the king, an actual plot to murder the king. Guess who exposed it? Mordecai. And he sent a message to Esther saying, tell the king. And it was exposed and the two men were killed. It came to nothing. Guess what? Mordecai wasn't recognized. He wasn't rewarded. He didn't receive notoriety or position or power. He was just a faithful citizen, a good Jew in the nation. But here's a man who done nothing, Haman, and he gets exalted with all of this power. What does he want to do with it? Destroy every single Jew. And so he creates a political plan, and then he gets the king to put a stamp on it. And a command goes out on a certain day. Do you know what he does? He goes to the cult realm, gets saucers in, starts saying, we need the right day to do this. Let's choose a day, just like Hamas did. We need the right day. We need to choose a day, and we're going to attack. Give maps to our men. Go into the country. Here's the schools. Here's where the civilians are. Here is where they're not going to fight back. Here's the peace-loving ones who love us Palestinians. Here's maps. This is what you do to the children. They've actually found the maps. They've got the notes that were on the bodies of terrorists that killed, the command to kill innocents, children, rape women. What is this? This is wickedness. What you're saying isn't something normal. And what's now spread to the world? It's not because Israel are attacking. Do you know anti-Semitism was there when Israel wasn't a nation? Oh, it's because Israel is in their land. No, it's not. This is Going back thousands of years, every single century, I could tell you about anti-Semitism. Oh, it's because Israel's attacking Hamas? No, it's not. It's because Israel's taking the ground? No, it's not. It's way before that. This is an ancient hatred. You know, for 2,000 years, you know, Catholicism embodied, imbibed. It was a vital part of it. It's teachings against, against the Jew. It become noted amongst Catholic nations. That's why Ireland hates the Jews. Ireland does hate Jews, you know. They're against the state of Israel. That, that's just a fact of reality. A part of that is because of Catholicism. 
for 2,000 years, 14, 1,500 years. I could record it for you, give it how they've called the Jew a Christ killer, a murderer, and they deserve to be punished. Then it's moved on to Islam. We need to say very little about it. But listen, under Catholicism's influence, some things you may not know. The Jews were expelled from England in, 20, sorry, in 1290, from France in 1306, and again in 1394, from the country of Hungary between 1349 to 60, in Austria, 1421, Germany, all throughout the 14th and 16th centuries. Lithuania, 1445, and again in 1495. Spain in 1492. Portugal in 1497. Bohemia, Moravia, 1745. And I could go on. Russia, extraordinary. Between the 15th century and 1772, excluded from Russia. I could go through and detail all these things. Or what about when Israel become a nation from 1948 to 67? Almost all Jews were pushed out of Algeria, Egypt, Iraq, Syria, Yemen. They had to flee their homes, their work, their livelihood. No one mentions that, do they? Everyone's saying Israel needs to stop now, put down the weapons. Now they're the criminals, they're the evil ones. They should only do what was done to them. If they did, if they'd done what's happened since 1948, they'd have to invade the whole Middle East, take over every capital, and push out everyone. And they're not going to do that. Do you know what's been said? If, is, sorry, if, if Hamas, if the Palestinians... If the Muslims, if the Arabs put down their weapons, there'll be peace in the Middle East. If Israel put down their weapons, there won't be a Jew left. That's a fact. When you go back into English history, the English book, The Canterbury Tales, and there's a certain chapter in there called The Prioress's Tale. Do you know what it has in there? A story about Jewish blood libel or Jewish ritual murder. This is all amidst Catholicism. This is what come out in England. And this is before the year 1400 by a man called Geoffrey Couser. Remarkable. Remarkable what you actually find here. But let me bring you up to a recent time. The protocols of the elders of Zion changed the 20th century. You can't even understand the entire 20th century, last century, with its two world wars. You can't even understand it unless you understand a book that's called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Most people, though, we cannot tell exactly, believe that it originated somewhere in the area of 1860 to 1890 in Russia. It began to be formulated, the idea for this book. What is this book? It has 24 chapters or protocols. Allegedly, they are the minutes from a meeting of Jewish leaders, Jewish elite. 
and the protocols described the secret plan of the Jews to rule the entire world, to manipulate the economy, control the media, and to foster religious conflict so they can take over everything, absolute control. That's what this book is. From 1897 to 1899, it was the chief of the foreign branch of the Russian secret police in Paris who first produced this document called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Before this, they had been trying to annihilate the Jew in Russia. Now the secret police create this book of a secret conspiracy that the Jew will take over the whole world. Remarkable. In 1903, portions of the protocols of the elders of Sam were serialized in a Russian newspaper for the very first time ever in our world. That's where it began to go public bit by bit. The first time it was entirely published was in Russia in 1905, the year that this sermon got preached in this city against the Jew, the same city, or sorry, the same year, 1905, is when this book first got published. And listen, the first time it was published was as an appendix to a book with this title, The Coming of the Antichrist and the Rule of Satan on Earth. And it was put in this as a part of the Antichrist plan. These Jewish leaders to take over the world By 1917, it had gone through four editions in Russia. Then in 1920, it was published widely across Germany. That was the second nation it went to, 1920. That same year of 1920, it was published in Poland, France, England, and the United States. This book went everywhere, and the people producing it blamed the Russian revolution on the Jews. The Jews did it. Ever heard that statement before? The Jews did it. There's poverty. The Jews did it. There's a hundred odd Jews in Limerick. They're to blame for all the woes of our entire city. This book went everywhere into every language. And of course, I understand people saying the Jews have a conspiracy. Well, Karl Marx, he was from a non-religious Jewish background. There's the Rothschild banking family. They're Jewish. George Soros, who's still alive, amazingly. He's from a Jewish family. Henry Kissinger. I can understand people jumping on this and saying there's some sort of conspiracy. But that's nothing to do with Judaism. Nothing at all. This book got first exposed in 1920 by an English journalist. And then after that by the London Times in 21, the New York Herald. Also in 21, there there was an utter exposure to show it's a fake. It wasn't Jewish leadership. It wasn't real. It's absolute lies. And yet it began to spread across our world in the 1920s, 100 years ago. Do you know where it's gone now? Guess what country it's republished in today more than any other country in the world? Japan. Do you know why? Not because they hate Jews, but they think there's something they can learn here economically so they can do the same. I'm telling you. 
this book is all through. In fact, I've got other facts. Like in Egypt, they broadcast it all across the Middle East. Newspapers, news media, right up to today, right across the Arabic world, they are putting out the protocols of the elders of Zion as truth as fact. You want to know why there's anti-Semitism? You want to know why the whole Muslim, Arab, Middle Eastern world hates Israel? They actually believe this. These lies. In the U.S., Henry Ford, do you know who Henry Ford is? The car manufacturer who created the Ford Company, who was originally from Cork, he and his family, moved to America, become so famous. In 1920, he started to produce a series of articles for the local newspaper that he owned. He gave it the title, The International Jew, The World's Problem, 1920. Henry Ford done that. He had his, it made into a book published in 16 languages. He spoke about the financial world controllers are exclusively Jews. He said they're controlling Wall Street, the banks, and all wars. Jews are the world's problems. He also distributed this book that he wrote that the Jew is the world's problem. He distributed it right across America in his 7,000 car dealerships in every town and city. There's piles of them sitting there, these newspapers, all seething out. The Jew is venom, should be destroyed. He then went on further. In fact, that paper, it reached a... A publication of 900,000 each issue right across America, almost a million. Then he reproduced the protocols of the elders of Zion and began to put it out in many different languages, especially the German language. Do you know where this is going? He became very famous in Germany. Do you know that Henry Ford financed Adolf Hitler his socialist party as early as 1922. In the New York Times that year, 22, there was an article of someone who'd went and visited Hitler, done an interview with him, and in behind Hitler's personal desk, up on his wall, was a massive framed picture of Henry Ford. In his office, the biggest picture. Do you know why Henry Ford was financing him? On Hitler's desks were all of the writings of Henry Ford against the Jew. He bought them up, translated them into the German language, and distributed them from 1922 all the way through to 1939, all across Germany. For 20 years, the German people are being prepared for the Holocaust to destroy the Jew. One of Hitler's great friends, this Irish man living in America, with all of this wealth, at the cutting edge of things, with a great reputation, who hates the Jew. He's an anti-Semite. He hates the Jews because they are Jews. Not because of something you've done. Not because of a war or murder. You're a Jew. I should hate you, despise you, be suspicious of you. Purely because you're a Jew. In 1938, just one year before the war, Hitler awarded Ford the Grand Cross, a Nazi, a Nazi decoration for distinguished 
foreigners. It was Ford's 75th birthday and it was to celebrate that. Hitler wanted to celebrate, so he gave him this award. He was the first US citizen who ever received it. What about Hitler? He was more keen to exterminate the Jews than he was to win the Second World War. Did you know that? The World War wasn't his focus. There was something far deeper. He wrote about the Jews incessantly right from the beginning. He rejected the conversion of the Jew. It's not enough to convert the Jew, to get them to turn against Judaism or not to practice a religion. He said, you cannot do that with a Jew because it's their race, their DNA. It's their blood within them. They're impure. They're vile. They need to be exterminated. They're an impure race. And he believed that he as a German was the Aryan race, the pure bloodline. And so from 1920, the Nazis had a fight against the Jew. Hitler called it scientific. He believed Darwinism. Darwinism proves the Jews are actually vile and should be annihilated. He began to lean towards genetics, which became eugenics, the destruction of a people through science the medical system, doctors, nurses, all of the rest. He first wrote against the Jews in 1919, and he said, it's not a religious issue, it's a racial issue. It's national anti-Semitism. The entire German people, from 1920 he said this, the entire German people need to extinguish the Jew from their midst. He accused the Jews of spreading Christianity. In 1923, he said, the Jew is certainly a race, but not human. The Jew is the image of the devil. When he wrote his book, Mein Kampf, he spoke about the protocols of the elders of Zion. If you can do it, and I don't often advise a movie, but I do this one. It's called Hitler, The Rise of Evil. You ought to watch that, and you see from 1922, his venom in raising up his whole rise in Germany. He was seething from the word go against the Jew. The Jew is our problem. We must extinguish and get rid of the Jew. This led to the Holocaust. It didn't begin in 1939 with the beginning of the war. It began with 1933 when his party, the Socialist Party, rose to power in Germany. They began to attack Jews from 1933, right across the whole nation. And a new pogrom was developed, attacking Jews. We read of 1938, the Kristallnacht, when a thousand synagogues were burnt down in Germany. And I could tell you the full history of it. It is extraordinary. As the war was progressing and Jews were being attacked, Oliver J. Flanagan, an Irishman, in his maiden speech on becoming a member of the Doyle, the Irish Parliament, in 1943, right in the midst of the war, listen to his opening speech in Parliament in this nation. Quote, there's one thing that Germany did, and that, it, that is to root out the Jew out of the country. Until we, the Irishmen, root out the Jew out of this country, it doesn't matter a hair's breadth what orders you make in this parliament. 
Where the bees are, there is the honey. And where the Jews are, there is the money. They crucified our Savior 1,900 years ago. And they are crucifying us every day of the week. He was instrumental that year in stopping 500 Jewish children escaping France from being killed, persecuted. And Ireland turned them away. This was at a time of genocide. Do you know after this, he was elected to the Doyle 14 times between 1943, that was his opening speech, he was an anti-Semite, through until 1982, he was in the Irish Parliament, one of the most important people in this nation, one of the most politically popular, with the highest vote constantly. And he remains one of the longest serving members of the history of the state. But he was an outspoken anti-Jew. He hated the Jew. I could cover so much. Let me finish. Point two and three. The Jew who would not bend. And a Jewess in the right place at the right time. Going back to scripture, this plot of Haman to destroy every single Jew. He had all the power. He created this plan. He convinced the king. The king didn't know what he was doing. Esther is in there, the wife, the young wife of this great king, and she discovers, you know where Mordecai is? At the gate in sackcloth and ashes, weeping, crying, because he knows my people are going to be destroyed. Esther doesn't know yet. She sends a message on, what's wrong? They're going to destroy our people. Says, what can I do? I can't do it. If you don't speak, woe unto you. She was in the right place. God had put her there. She's only a young lady. He's only an old man, but he's a godly man. And he's at the gate crying unto God, making a stand. Six times in the book of Esther, he is called the Jew. The Jew. This was an attack on Judaism 2,500 years ago. This Mordecai was a remarkable enemy. He knew who his enemy was, and he knew about this hatred of the Jews. And he began to cry out, and he said, I know God has a plan. You know the story as he cried out. He said, you go to the king, and we're going to call all the Jews to prayer, to fasten. There's going to be a three-day prayer fasting. We're not going to eat. We're not going to drink water for three days. And we're going to cry out to God for a great deliverance. Do you know what had swept the world at that day? Anti-Semitism, a hatred of the Jew. Permission was given by law. You can attack Jews, take their house, their property, their possessions, and nothing will be done to you. This has the backing of the government and can never be changed. When Esther finally went to the king, he said, but the Persian laws, you can't change the law once it's made. I've given a command. The people are fasting and praying. He now sees he was tricked by Haman. Do you know suddenly everything turns upside down? Do you know how it changed? One night, the king can't sleep. Do you know who's involved with that? God. One simple thing, a king who can't sleep at night. Can't sleep. I was like that the other night. Couldn't sleep all night. Just up. Just went back to reading the scripture. Lord, speak to me. King gets up and then he calls one of the servants, go and get the old scrolls. Begins to read and he goes, hold on, who's the, what's this story? 
here's something that happened where a man discovered a plot against me. I've never awarded him. Who is he? Where is he? That's Mordecai the Jew. How am I going to reward him? So the next morning he calls Haman and Haman comes walking into the palace. All this plan is there. Haman is wicked, evil. He knows I'm going to get rid of the Jews. The king says, Haman, I've got a question for you. I want to reward someone in a great way. Can you think any great way of doing this? Haman thought it was him. So he said, oh yes, I've got many thoughts. And once he tells him, put him on a horse, choose the right person to lead him through the streets, etc., etc. He says, good, go get Mordecai, go get a horse, and you lead him through the streets and have everyone praise him. Do you know what? Haman's world crashed to the ground in one day. He had built gallows. Do you know who for? For the Jews. Do you know how many sons he had? Ten. That's interesting. It's going to be 10 world rulers at the end. Do you know Hitler had 10 generals? I don't believe that was an accident. One day, and here's Haman leading the horse with Mordecai on the horse. Do you know whose hand was in this? The Lord's hand. He had placed Esther out of all the beautiful girls in the entire empire. She got chosen. You think I was by accident? She was in the right place at the right time. And here's a godly man who refuses to bend. He will not bend. He's not a compromiser. It seemed like his entire people were going to die because of his own compromise and stand. Instead, it turned around. And now he is exalted. And guess what? When Haman gets home that night, what a depressed man as he goes into his wife. All his good friends says, oh boy, you're in for it now. This is only the beginning. It's only... Would you like friends like that? You're in the pits, your world's falling apart, and all your best friends. You better choose who your friends are. A good godly friend will say, there's always hope, always a reason. There's always a plan in God. You're not here by accident. Then his wife Goose's wife says, it's all over. Commit suicide as 10 children gets hung. Saints of God, tonight, my message, a spirit of anti-Semitism. Last week, I dealt with that ancient hatred. Next week, I'm going to give you a shocking title. So I don't like to deal with these things. I just like to talk about the love of God, Christ dying on the cross. But I've got to warn you, This isn't normal what's going across our world. It's always been here. Swept Russia, Nazi Germany. Now it's sweeping Islam. It's innately in Islam. Look at the Western nations. All these young, immoral, weird, strange young people in America. These trans rights, LGBT, they're all coming out demonstrating for Palestine, saying there's something wrong with Israel. Really strange. There's something very strange going on. It's not normal. That's not natural. I want to tell you in our world, we're coming right down to the end of everything. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We praise you, O God. And Father, everything that we see happening across our world, Father, this hatred, this bitterness, 
this anger, these lies, this murder, nor God, all that we see affecting the nations of the world. We pray right now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we pray, O oh God, nor God, as we see evil plots, as we see this desire to kill. Father, like Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people of Esther's day, Father, we pray, nor God, that you're going to raise up a people who go to prayer and fast and who don't lift up their hand, but, O oh God, that seek you with all of their heart, that cry out to you, nor God, that what's meant for evil will be turned to good, that righteousness and truth will come forth. My God, I pray that our hearts are burned with love, nor God, for those in Gaza who are suffering right now, nor God, that our prayers will go forth for them, nor God, that our hearts would break for the children, nor God, in every area, in every culture, nor God, that are suffering, even in the midst of this, we realize that there is a real devil, there is a real evil in our world, they'll never be put right until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, and Lord God, we're praying for salvation, that you'd turn many from wickedness unto righteousness, that many would find the Prince of Peace, that many, O oh God, would see that Jesus Christ is real in this hour, in this generation. And Father, in this evil, wicked hour, when the nations are being stirred up, nor God, when we see Russia at odds with America, when we see China arising, when we see the Western world in confusion, nor God that Christ would be preached and proclaimed just one last time. And oh God, we pray for that anointing of your Holy Spirit, that a great harvest, a great revival is going to take place in this hour. Lord God, in an hour of darkness, you always raise up a standard against the enemy. And Lord God, we pray that out of this city of Limerick, that your voice, that your word, that the preaching of the gospel would go out to touch many people, that would stir the hearts, would strengthen the hands, would move many to pray. Lord God, a sermon preached a hundred years ago, nor God brought hatred and bitterness. But, oh God, we pray, oh God, for the power of God to come to this city where the gospel is going to mark this city, that this city would be known for the power of your gospel. It would be known for the preaching of righteousness and truth, for the preaching of the Bible, to love your enemies and hate them not. Nor God, we're asking of you that our hearts, Lord God, that we learn what it means to love our enemies enemies, to pray for them that despitefully use us, and Lord God, to grant that your name would be glorified and honored in Jesus' mighty name. We bless you and worship you tonight, and Lord God, ask for your grace upon our lives in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.